I'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 22 this morning, so if you'd like to open your Bibles with me, oh, that's where I'll be, 1 Samuel chapter 22. If, if not, I'll have it on the screen either way. Did you notice what we sang? We sang, the body they may kill. The guy who wrote this knew that was true, and he knew it was a real possibility. The body they may kill. One of the questions I've wrestled with quite a lot, and maybe you have too, is why would God let evil people do things like kill people? Where is God when people are getting killed? Why, why doesn't God reach down and stop them? Where is God when evil is taking place? This is, this is what we're going to see today in 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're, we'll see something extremely evil taking place. And this is one of those chapters that really, when you just read it, I think the propensity would be to go, I really, really don't like that. And I think what needs to happen is that needs to be ripped out of the book. Because that doesn't make sense. And I don't want to worship a God that would let something like that happen. There are people throughout history that have literally torn, torn pages or cut pages from Scripture. And there are a lot more who just ignore the stuff that they don't like. This is one of those pages that would get cut out, ripped out. Because when we read it, it's really, really hard to read. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can rip pages out of a book. You can. But you can't rip pages out of life. And sometimes you go through a chapter of life that you really don't, that is really hard. And you wish you could rip it out, but you can't. And, and if you rip the pages out of the book that are really uncomfortable, that really you don't like, then you'll be ill-equipped to handle the chapters of life that you really don't like. So let's go through this and ask, what does this say about God? Because, because really, when we go through really hard chapters in life, we have a choice. We can ask God, what do you have for me here? Or we can say, listen. Or we can say, if that's what God is like, then we're done. While we read this really hard chapter, ask yourself, where is God in this? Just like while you're thinking about the really hard chapter in life that you did go through or are going through or may go through in the future, where is God in this? So here we are, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. And... Uh, 
let me just let me just give you a little bit of backstory. Remember the David and Goliath, David. That guy is running for his life from king from the current king. So the David and Goliath, David is not king yet. The current king is king, and his name is Saul. And that guy is really, really paranoid. Uh, he, he really, he knows that David is the rightful king, the king that God has chosen. And so he is doing his level best to kill David. And so here we go. And, and by the way, David has, the rest of it will make sense, but David has escaped him once again. And now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. And Saul was sitting at Gabeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. Have you read that before? Those of you who have been with us for a couple weeks, does, have you heard that before? It's kind of like holding a meeting with a Glock. Anybody want to disagree? Saul was sitting at Gabeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand and all his servants were standing. So what is Saul sitting there standing? Saul's, you know, trigger finger, got his finger on the trigger of the spear. He's thrown it at his son. He's thrown it at David. He'll throw it at them like it's, it's tense. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, here now, people of Benjamin. Where was Saul from? The tribe of Benjamin. So he surrounded himself with the only people he can trust, and he doesn't trust them. He is paranoid. Well, will the son of Jesse give, you, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Remember, this is what Samuel warned the people that a king, like they're asking for, would be like. He would take their fields and vineyards, and give them to his commanders. And Saul is saying, haven't I already done that? And so Samuel's warnings have come true. Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? Have they all conspired against him? Well, no, they haven't. But Saul is paranoid and not thinking straight. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Who's the son of Jesse? David, the David and Goliath, David. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son stirred up my servant against me. Now he's blaming his son for what David didn't do. Old boy is not thinking clearly, and jealousy doesn't help us think clearly. To what lie in wait as at this day. So David to Saul is underneath every rock and behind every tree. Then answered Dog the Edomite. Oh, we met him last week, who stood by the servants of Saul says, I saw the son of Jesse, David, coming to Nob to Ahimelech and the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. How much of that is true? Most of it. Most of it is true. We don't read that Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for David. So probably Dog is making that part up. But it's true, Dog is here tattling on Ahimelech. Then the king sent uh, to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priest, priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. Then Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? 
you and the son of Jesse, in that, I, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me. Has he risen against him? No, he's running for his life. To lie in wait. Is he lying in wait? No, he's running for his life, but Saul is paranoid. To lie in wait, as is this day. And then Ahimelech answered the king, Who among all your servants is so faithful as David? So, so David did come to me, but here, listen to why I would give him the stuff that Dog said I gave him. And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? David is your faithful servant. So of course I'm going to help him because by helping him, I'm helping you. And who is the king's son-in-law? For crying out loud, your kin. And captain over your bodyguard. Do you not want to be well defended? Of course I was going to help him. And honored in your house. By honoring him, I'm honoring you. Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. He's saying, look, I, I helped him, but of course I helped him because he's your boy. I didn't know anything was going on. It's not a conspiracy. And remember, David had kind of lied to him. And David had put him in this position. talk more about this later on but all our actions have consequences that other people feel can't only see it at the time but all our actions have consequences that other people experience and this is true for ahimelech right now and the king said you shall surely die ahimelech you and all your father's house and the king said to the guard who stood about him, now I have that highlighted so that I'll stop and remember and slow down and say, watch this. This is an incredible act of courage. So the king says to the guard that is standing about him, you know, they're a little bit afraid of Saul because he's thrown his spear at other people. And old boy is agitated and dangerous. And they're kind of standing around. And he says to the guard, you need to kill him. Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. It's time for all of them to die, and you guys need to kill them. But the servants of the king would not put their hand, put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. It's like they just, just nobody moves. Just an incredible act of courage. Just, we will not go along with this. We'll not participate in this. Then the king said to Dog, turn and strike the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85, 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Think, I mean, have you ever smelled blood? Have you ever seen gore? Imagine, don't even try to imagine, 85 people dying by a sword. 85. 
I want you to, to know, like, the Bible has really hard stuff in it. So when you come to really hard things in life, you're like, the Bible makes me think that everything should be easy. Really? He killed, on that day, 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword. Remember sword. Okay, that's going to be important in like 10, 15 minutes. He put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep. He killed everybody. So if there's 85 priests, how many women and children are there? This is like mass murder stuff. He put to the sword. But one, remember that for later on, but one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled to David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me and do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Kind of a tough chapter. So what do you do with this? I mean, remember where we started. Like, where is God in this? Where is God in this chapter? Well, let me start with what is undeniable. Let me start with, like, what is utterly essential, what no one can deny. And that is that God permits evil. Let's, let's just call this what it is. He kills 85 priests and their families. It's inexcusable. It's evil. God permits evil. You've experienced that to be true. If you've lived for very long, you've seen it on the news to be true. You, you read the Bible and it's, un, it's undeniably there. God permits evil. Now, what I want to do is give you three reasons that God permits evil. So let's not run away from it. You know, let's not, let's not hide from it. Let's deal with it. Three reasons God permits evil. Number one goes all the way back to the very beginning of the story. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And this passage assumes, you know... This passage, right here in my Bible, it assumes this part. It assumes that God gave people a choice whether to obey him or disobey him, whether to love him or love something else, that God gives people a choice. It is undeniable from Scripture that God gives people a choice. They can decide. Whether they'll love him or love something else. Whether they'll obey him or obey something else. God gives people real choices. And they are responsible for those choices. So in this passage, it assumes that people have a real choice. Because Saul is willing to do 
anything, 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 anything to hold on to the crown. Just like, just like in the first, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve said, look, the only thing we really, really have to have is the thing that God doesn't want us to have. Here, the only thing Saul really cares about, the thing he cares about more than anything else is holding on to the crown, and it makes him crazy and paranoid and desperate. And he ends up doing terrible things. And for Doge, what he cared about was being liked by the guy who wore the crown. But you know they had a choice, because remember we pointed out the guards that said... Or at least refused to kill the priests. So you can see the negative example in Saul, and you can see the positive example of having a choice in the guards. God gives us real choices. Why is there evil in the world? Because people decide to pick evil sometimes. A lot of the stuff that you have suffered is because of your bad choices or other people's bad choices. Not everything, because the world is broken because of people's choices. There's a curse on the world because we chose sin, so, so the world is bigger than that. It's more complicated than that. It's more broken than a one-to-one relationship between all the suffering that we suffer and individual choices. But evil choices are the reason underneath a lot of what we suffer. Either ours or other people's. Why is there evil? Well, because we choose it sometimes. Or other people choose it sometimes. Why is there evil? The second reason is because God uses evil to judge evil. God uses evil to judge evil. So, think of this. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, The people were tired of God being king. And so they come to Samuel and they say, you need to give us a king like all the other nations have. And Samuel says, that's a really bad idea because he will take and he will take and he will take and he will take and he will take. Those of you who have been with us for a while, you remember that? For Samuel chapter 8 and how the king will take and take and take and take and take. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. Well, now they have a king, like all the other nations. This is what kings do. They defend their power at any cost. God uses evil to judge evil, even if it means letting people live with the decisions that they've made. The second way that you see that in this chapter of God punishing evil with evil is Saul. Saul has killed all the priests. Well, guess what? In that day, you got access to God by going to a priest. So Saul has cut himself off from God entirely. So when he really, really is desperate for a word from God, do you remember what he has to do? He goes and finds a witch. And says, I need you to conjure Samuel, 
bring back this guy. She's a necromancer, and she brings back this guy from the dead because he has cut himself off from God entirely. God uses evil to judge evil. Saul will have to live with the consequences of killing all the priests because he won't have any more access to God. But I know you're still like, Bro, there's a lot of dead priests. And it's not cool. Like, I mean, how do you how do you how do you not just tear this page out of like how is this okay? That there's this many dead priests. Okay, so you've heard me say that what Paul did was not okay. You've heard that, right? It was evil, it was wrong. But let's look at the names. Let's do some, some kind of in-depth Bible study for a second. So if you hate in-depth Bible study, just, just turn your mind off for a second, okay? We're just going we're we're gonna to follow the truth wherever it leads for, for just a couple minutes. We're going to see this here. So let's go back to chapter 14. Chapter 14, I'll have it on the screen. Chapter 14 and verse... Three, so the context is Saul is getting ready for a big fight with the Philistines. And context is always what matters most, except in this case, which you should be like, wait, that's not true. Context is always what matters most. Right, right. What I'm after here is a genealogy, and you'll see why in just a second. So, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub. Hey, do you remember that name? So these are the folks that are with Saul, which makes what Saul did all the more heinous. These are priests that had been with him in battle. These are priests that he knew well, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Whoa, whoa. Those of you who have been with us for a while. I mean, I have the reference up there, so it doesn't really make sense to ask. Like, where have you seen that before? I know, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21. You remember the context of that? After they lost the ark... And they find out that Eli and Hophni and Phinehas are dead. And Phinehas's wife gives birth and she names the boy. There's no more glory or Ichabod because they lost the ark. Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli. And, and if you remember all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, God had warned them that if they, if they kept on their ways that there would be terrible, terrible, unspeakable judgment coming for them. Remember what they were doing? They are disrespecting God. They were, like, they are robbing from the offerings and robbing from the people. They're like, God is irrelevant and far away, and he doesn't matter. And God says, you keep doing that, there is going to be terrible, terrible consequences. Remember, they're disrespecting especially women and taking away the women's dignity. Like it's really, it's really hard stuff to read. And God says, you keep doing that, there will be terrible, desperate consequences. In fact, I'd like to read to you like what I'd like to read to you the warning, if that'd be okay, from chapter 2, verse 33. And only one of you. Whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve his heart. Like he says, I'm going to kill 
all of you, your whole house, it's all going to die because of the way you're disrespecting me and disrespecting these women. You're all going to die. Your whole house is going to die. Except for one who will wear his eyes out with crying. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Who, Who are these priests? They're descendants of Eli, whom, who have been living with this warning and ignoring this warning, probably. There's no hint in the text that they changed. There's no hint in the text that they've repented. This is God's warning coming home. Why does God permit evil? Well, He permits evil because we pick it. And he lets us pick. Why does God permit evil? Well, sometimes sometimes God can use evil to judge evil. Now look, it, it, it might be that you read this and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't make it easy to read, but now at least I understand it. But see, life is not like that. Life, you know, in the Bible we get this heavenly view, if you will, like looking down from heaven, we see the big picture. But in life we don't get the heavenly view. We just live in the trees and run from whatever is chasing us. But we get this heavenly view in the Bible to assure us that in life, when we're going through it and experiencing something evil, we get this heavenly view to assure us that whatever God permits has a purpose. God has a purpose for whatever God permits. So why does God permit evil? Well, because he lets us pick it. Why does God permit evil? Well, he uses it to judge evil. Why does God permit evil? Well, this one, this one I'm really standing back again and looking at really the big picture of Scripture. Going back again to Genesis. And this time the end of the book of Genesis, where um, Joseph, remember Joseph in the and the coat of many colors, you know, that Joseph, he's at the end of his life, and his brothers come to him and say, Joseph, Dad said not to kill us. And, you know, they had, they had reason for telling Joseph, Dad said not to kill us, like they were afraid that he was going to kill them because of stuff they'd done to him. They'd sold him into slavery when he was young and when they were old. You know, they took advantage of the situation, they sold him into slavery. And Joseph makes a really profound statement that sums up the book of Genesis and really is a major thread that holds the narrative of the whole Bible together. Joseph says to them, what you intended for evil, God used for good, for the saving of many lives. Why is it that God allows evil? Well, he allows evil sometimes so that he can redeem it good. And you can see that, you can see that throughout the Bible. 
I mean, all of Scripture, you can see that thread. Here, I don't know. I, I don't, the, the text doesn't exactly make a one-to-one connection. But up until this point, David has just been kind of recklessly doing stuff. You know, so lying to priests, going and hiding with the Philistines. Uh, you know, he's just been kind of recklessly doing stuff. But now there's a change in David's life. So if, if, you, I mean, if you have it open, you're in 23, verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. Now, now it looks like David has begun to pray. Maybe David has said, you know, I see what happens now when I don't pray, when I don't seek the Lord, when I don't inquire of the Lord, and I just recklessly do stuff, and I see how that hurts other people, and so now I will start inquiring of the Lord. God uses evil for good. So what should we do? I mean, what should you do if you're going through a chapter in life that you really don't like? A chapter in life that, uh, if you could, you'd tear it out of the book. A chapter in life that is hard to understand and really is challenging to your faith. What should you do? That's right, Damien. That's right. Lean in to your church family. That's right. That's right. That's part of part of what I was going to put up here next. And that is like when you're going through it, and when you're in a terrible season, terrible chapter of life, the, the thing that I really, really the big picture of what it asks you to do is get to know the Lord before you write Him off. Just get to know God before you write Him off. Just, just before you come across... A chapter in life, you go, this is, this is, why would God even, I don't understand, I don't like this, and you just get angry, and just hit pause, come to the Word, and ask, will I get to know God better on the other side of this? Is there more to God than I can see right now? And here's the thing, I think if you ask this question and you really get to know God through his word, through your church family, through worship, through your own study, through, like, if you get to know God through it, I think you'll come to respect him. I think you'll come to respect him because you'll see how he can redeem evil for good. You'll see how he can redeem, how he can use people's choices that people make real choices. Crazy people make real choices. Like paranoid people that we just saw with Saul make real choices. And God can pull all those threads together and make make something beautiful. You'll come to respect God. I think you'll also really believe this. You get to know God, you come to love Him. 
Not just respect him, but you'll come to love him as the one who loved you first. That decided to not just exempt himself from the effects of other people's choices, but came himself in the person of Jesus and walked among us. You know, it was foreordained and it happened according to God's plan. I'm quoting from Acts chapter 2. That Jesus would be handed over to evil men. And that they would do their worst for him. Their worst to him. And, and so this is true. What we're about to sing. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. It's true. It's true. The God who stands above it all, who holds every thread, who redeems it all, that God came in the person of Jesus, died for our sins, and rose again on the third day to give us eternal life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how you care about us and pull us towards yourself. Lord, I pray that you would meet each one in whatever chapter they're in. Might be a good chapter, might be a really hard chapter. Lord, you know where we all are. I pray that you would give experienced assurance that you are working all things together for good. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.